Good morning, church. Uh, it is a blessing to be here. Uh, as you would have learned, for those of you who may be new to me, uh, I have a very long history with this church. And of course, the church is not this building. Uh, we've been in numerous buildings over the years, including renting high school auditoriums as well as uh, renovating that many buildings, including this one, which was a tractor shed originally. And uh, so you are the church, and some of you will know me and some of you won't because the church is a changing community. There are new people added, people move for a variety of reasons, and of course some go home to glory. And uh, I'm old enough to know that that's a constant reality for any church community. But I really do thank you as a church community, and uh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the influence of this community of believers. So it's a great privilege to be able to come and open the scriptures and consider what God has to say about the future of Israel and, and its connection to <coughs> excuse me, uh, us as believers, us as the church. Most of you, of course, in the news have been bombarded by images of the war in Ukraine, uh, whether through television or internet means, uh, with Russia invading, uh, tragic situation and as I mentioned we even have workers that are on the ground in that area and so we do get updates from time to time uh, things are not very safe and obviously that nation is uh, hoping for intervention uh, and it kind of tells us that this whole matter of world peace is a very fragile thing I mean, I guess it got even more fragile when uh, Putin decided that he would raise the alert on the use of nuclear weapons. And so we might think, well, you know, Ukraine's a long way away from us, and it is. I mean, we live in one of the most remote parts of the earth compared to uh, Russia and Europe, Eastern Europe. And Adelaide is probably one of the quietest and safest of the cities that you might choose to live in. Uh, but we kind of feel, oh, you know, what is happening here? And then, of course, we have a, a very large neighbour to our north, China, and people are concerned about the relationship between uh, Russia and China <clears throat> and whether or not that that's going to grow and deepen and whether the issue of Taiwan is going to become a, a major concern in our region. Uh, if Russia can just invade Ukraine, well, would China just invade Taiwan? And what would that mean? You know, as a consequence, in Ukraine, many uh, Jewish families are, are fleeing. Now, thousands of people are leaving the Ukraine, and as I mentioned earlier, our workers have been assisting some of them in that move. Uh, they're looking for a place of safety. They're looking for a place of refuge. Uh, some of them... Uh, quite a lot, actually, in the tens of thousands, are considering going to Israel, returning to the homeland of the Jewish people, uh, because they think that that's the ultimate secure place. Uh, Israel, of all the nations on the earth, at least provides the Jewish people with a welcome, uh, a safe place, relatively speaking, <clears throat> and a secure place. Uh, Israel is currently... Uh, a militarily strong nation, even though it has many enemies. And so it would seem that for a Jewish person to be anywhere else but Israel 
would be to be vulnerable because circumstances change as they did throughout their history. <clears throat> so going to Israel seems like a good move. But I guess the question would be, is, is it really a safe place to go? You know, is it really a secure place to go? Uh, how, how wise would you be to, to go to Israel as a Jewish person or for any other person? You know, does the Israel of today have a guaranteed future? And the answer is yes, although it's actually a complicated answer. And that's why uh, we read from chapter 11 in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, you might like to open there because we will camp in that chapter. Uh, Paul, when he writes the book of Romans to these believers, quite far off from where he is, wants to explain to them God's plan. And he begins by explaining God's plan for salvation, uh, particularly for individuals, people. And so when you start the book of Romans, the first three chapters kind of consign you to the wrath of God, that you are accountable to God, you're guilty before God, and there's no way you personally can escape from that by anything you can do. Uh, fortunately, Romans 3 is not the end of the story, because Romans 4 and 5 indicate very clearly to us that it's a, a faith relationship with God that brings about acceptance with God, a righteousness from God, which is called justification. You're justified by faith. And having explained that, he then in chapter 6, 7, and 8 sort of gives more information about what that means for us as Christians living on a day-by-day -day basis. How are we going to live out this faith that brings us righteousness and acceptance before God on you know, workplace situations, home situations, neighbor situations, study situations. And so Paul teases out this amazing gift of salvation that we are able to be transformed and then, having done that in chapter 8, he tells us that we have a great security. We, we have a future which is certain because it starts with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and it ends with no separation. What an amazing bookend of a chapter. No condemnation, no separation for those who belong to God in Jesus. But it raises a question. That's oh, okay for Christians. What about the nation of Israel. What about Jewish people? Didn't God make them some pretty significant promises and have some significant covenants with them? Uh, what's going to happen to these people? Has God finished with them? Uh, is God still working with them? What is going on? And so Paul in chapters 9, 10, and 11 sort of answers that question, that big question about Israel. And in chapter 9, there's a pastor with anguish in his heart that his own fellow Jewish people might be saved, that they might come to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their own Messiah. Uh, he starts to explain that despite Israel's rejection, despite uh, their present mixed following of some Jews and then many, many Gentiles, you know, God's word hasn't failed. He's still delivering what he has promised because everything is subject to his sovereignty. God is sovereign over human affairs and he's sovereign over personal salvation as well. So chapter 9 sort of answers that question. God's word hasn't failed. And then chapter 10 addresses, well, if God is sovereign over all things and God's particularly sovereign over individual salvation for Gentiles and Jews, 
Where do we fit? You know, what is our responsibility? And chapter 10 tells us that we are responsible with respect to this salvation that God has provided. You know, the nation of Israel was responsible for their rejection and they suffered serious consequences as a, con- as a result of their rejection. Uh, but we are also individually responsible for our response to this great message, this amazing message of the gospel. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but we've got a call. We've actually got to respond. And not only our response to this gospel that we might welcome this saviour, this person of Jesus, but also our responsibility in the gospel, that we are responsible for it to be proclaimed, for it to be spread, for people to hear about it, because Paul argues that you know, the message must be proclaimed, but it can't be proclaimed unless there's someone who preaches it. You can't hear what isn't actually broadcast. And so we have a responsibility as God's people to get this message out. But of course, Israel had had an opportunity to hear the message, to respond to the message, and they'd rejected it. So did that mean that was the end? That was the finish of that nation? There was no longer a future for this people, this group, this ethnic group, the Jewish people. And that's where chapter 11 begins. It tells us, I ask then, and Paul loves questions because it forces you to think, has God rejected his people? And he responds with, by no means, meganoito. So we want to look at this chapter together. So let me pray and we'll see what God can show us. Lord, thank you for this time of worship. Uh, around your word, singing songs, praying, fellowshipping together, it's all because of you. And so we direct our hearts, our minds to you. We look to you to open our hearts and our minds, to speak to us deeply, inwardly, uh, through your word. Uh, thank you that we can open its pages and it's in our language and, uh, Lord, how privileged we are to be able to be here this morning. And may your spirit work through the preaching of the Word of God for the good of all of my brothers and sisters and any guests who are here today, and that we might ultimately bring you glory as we experience your goodness from these amazing words. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. There's two main things that are communicated in this chapter. The first one is that the present rejection of Israel is not total. And then the second is that the present rejection of Israel is not final. So what about this not total? As you saw, Paul framed a question which in the Greek demands a negative answer. So it's like no, it's sort of like rhetorical no. But he doesn't want to leave grammar to chance. He actually says, meganoito, by no means. God has not rejected Israel. God has not rejected his People. Remember, Paul is a Jew. He would be a hostile Jew. He had persecuted the church even to death. And he got converted on the Damascus Road. So his whole world had changed. And it didn't mean, even though the Jewish people were his primary persecutors now that he had changed allegiances from Judaism to Jesus, it didn't mean that he had sort of said, oh, well, you deserve it, you know, kick them when they're down kind of thing. No, his orientation was, I want all of my Jewish brothers and sisters to find what I found, to see Jesus like I've seen him, 
And so he didn't believe that God was finished with the Jewish people. And he demonstrates that by saying, well, I'm an example. I'm an example of God's grace bringing a Jewish persecutor of the church to faith. How amazing is that? But not only that, he reminds the, the Roman readers and us that God has always worked with remnants. And so in the time of Elijah, when Elijah thought, I'm the only one, I've been uh, left to lead and, and minister and try my heart out to help this nation, and I'm the only one. And God said, no, no, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 that I have kept who haven't bowed to this pagan idol, Baal. And then he explains why. He says that this is all about grace. You know, God has been working both in Paul's life, in the Old Testament with these 7,000, and Elijah and many others, that by grace they had actually followed God. By grace they had actually trusted in the living God. And so there's this remnant that are being saved, including Jewish people. But then there was the remainder who were hardened. And verse 7 tells us that they, what about Israel? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. You know, Israel sought righteousness before God by their own effort. They were zealous for righteousness, but it was all about self-righteousness. You know, doing good things to be right with God, and that was never enough. He says, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And it gives you the quotes from the Old Testament that there's a spirit of stupor on them. Their eyes can't see, their ears can't hear, even to the very day that Paul wrote the book of Romans, and even until today, some centuries later. Uh, their table became a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. And uh, Paul would say elsewhere that, you know, Jesus is the stumbling block to the Jews. They seek a sign, but Jesus wasn't a sign enough for them. And so they've been judged, and they were judged. I mean, you've got to realize, they said, let this blood be on our heads. So the Romans finally got sick of what was happening in Jerusalem, so they destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, and then later they got even more upset with the Jewish people, and they completely dismantled the nation. That's why we have the word Palestine today. It's the Roman designation of the land area that was Judea and Samaria because they wanted to erase the Jewish identity from history. They renamed Jerusalem, Aeola Capitolona, which was a name that was based on a Roman understanding of that area. So the word Palestinian actually comes from the Roman change of name. It's got no history earlier. It doesn't exist before then. So they suffered incredibly in their history. Uh, some of you may have seen the film Fiddler on the Roof. You know, and said, well, you know, being a Jew, you know, it's not an easy life being a Jew. Suffering upon suffering, often from the church, unfortunately. And so there's a remnant, yes, but the remainder are hardened. Overall. And that's so, so tragic. But would that be the end? You know, is that the end? Of course, verse 11 tells us no, because Paul asks another question. He says, so I ask, did they stumble? And they had. 
in order that they might fall. And that's kind of saying that that would be their final resting place. Stumble, fall, no recovery. And the answer is, again, framed in the negative, but with the definite response, by no means. Paul's really hammering a truth here. This nation, as rebellious as it's been, and by the way, it was rebellious all from its beginnings. <laughs> you look at the wilderness wanderings back in its early history, you look at the kings, you look at the prophets, and uh, Israel's never been exactly the most cooperative nation on the planet. But God has continued to work with them. By the way, are you a cooperative person? Mm, I've got a funny feeling that most of us struggle with that own sinful, inward desires, thoughts, issues. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing here. I might even be in prison for my early history if it had been continued in the direction it originally was going. So those kind of things are true of all humanity, but this nation stands out. I mean, most people think, oh, I wouldn't be as rebellious and as stubborn as stiff-necked as Jews. No, I think we're probably a little bit soft in ourselves. You see, the present rejection of Israel is not final. Certainly there's been a reality that this nation has generally been very unresponsive to the gospel. It's quite difficult to reach the hearts of Jewish people, although if they're reached, they are amazingly zealous converts, uh, as Paul was in the earliest of the church's years. So this Meganoito, they have not stumbled that they would fall. Because rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You know, so God's plan involved the nation of Israel actually rejecting their Messiah, arranging for his crucifixion, which the Romans accomplished on their behalf, because guess what that did? It opened salvation for everybody the Gentiles, as well as the Jews. And uh, this was satanically orchestrated. Uh, he was behind the scenes bringing this about, and none of those who were active participants were absolved of their involvement because there were other powers at play, whether it be God or Satan. People were held responsible. Uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us that very clearly in Peter's first sermon. And we can't work that out. I can't work out how the sovereignty of God fits with my human responsibility. He's in total control, but I'm completely responsible. You know, it's like um, an African-American man said, you know, I do my part and God does his part. I do the sinning and he does the saving. That's pretty much the way it's been. And so... God has purpose to use this nation to bring Messiah into existence. Remember that Jesus is Jewish, remember that? He's not the pasty picture of the European Jews that you see in paintings of that era. He is a Jewish man. And he's come from the nation of Israel, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the descendants. He's come from the line of David. So he's as Jewish as Jewish can be. So we are privileged to have a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish Saviour and Lord as well as being God, of course, in the flesh. But this nation has opened the pathway of salvation by their sinful actions. It's quite remarkable. I always think of Satan as the most frustrated beings on the planet. Now, everything he does works out for God's good. 
Now, he orchestrates the crucifixion of Jesus, and it's actually his own undoing. I win. No, you lose. Jesus is dead, yes, but not completely because he was raised from the grave. And when he cried out, it is finished, the work of redemption on that cross was completed. And he hadn't died yet. He just suffered the wrath of God for those three hours of darkness when he was separated from his father and endured hell on the cross. Then he died as a representation of the wage of sin is what? Death. Physical death is a result of spiritual death. And so all that effort that Satan went to destroy the Saviour actually resulted in the salvation from the Saviour. And the same is still true today. You know, anti-Semitism is a satanic thing. It's not just a, a human thing. It's a satanic thing. It keeps rising from century to century to century. You'd have thought the Holocaust would have buried it forever. But it's rising again. Uh, and even uh, Putin is accusing <laughs> Ukraine, of all people, of being Nazis, of having a Jewish influence that's oriented to world domination and world control. That, that story has been told numerous times. It's completely fictitious. But imagine calling a president of the Ukraine who is Jewish a Nazi. I mean, it's ridiculous. The Nazis put to death Six million Jewish people in the Holocaust. So I don't think a Jewish president's going to stand up and say, I'm for the Nazis. Not at all. Now, there are extremes in every culture. We've got you know, white supremacists. We've got far-right radicals. They're in every nation and culture. But you don't say the whole culture is those. The whole culture isn't those. I hope you don't think all of Australia are you know, white supremacists or neo-Nazis. I hope not. But not only was the purpose behind their rejection of Messiah the salvation that was then opened up to Gentiles, look what else it says. So as to make Israel jealous. So the whole point that God has done in giving this beautiful and wonderful provision of Jesus to the whole world, no ethnic barriers, is so that one group of people who are ethnically defined would be jealous. And Paul goes on to say that he actually exalts his ministry amongst the Gentiles so that he can provoke his own people to jealousy. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, this applies to us as the church. If the life we live before God is so amazing, so filled with love and joy and peace, which are the fruit of the Spirit, no matter what your circumstances are, whether they are ill health, whether they are world distorting and confronting events, no matter what they may be, you are stable. You are secure. And Paul was stable and secure. No matter his persecutors, he prayed for his persecutors. I mean, even Stephen did it when he prayed for his persecutors, one of them who happened to be Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. I'm sure that prayer was answered in the salvation of Saul. So when people look at us, when everybody's got anxiety and fear and worry and insecurity and they look at the believer who's at peace, still human, still honest and transparent, but not cowering in fear, not trembling with anxiety, but actually 
full of confidence for the future because they have a confident reality that God is in control. That nothing that happens either in their lives personally or globally is going to stop God's plan from being accomplished. And by the way, when you're next to a very nervous, anxious person and you don't look nervous and anxious, they may ask a question. How come you guys are so relaxed about all this? Well, it's not because I'm particularly personality-wise relaxed, because I might actually be quite an anxious and fearful personality, but it's because I have a reality that I know is true. God is on the throne. God is still in control of all things as well as my life. And if I'm in a hospital bed dying of cancer, as a Christian, I'm headed to glory. I'm being graduated. Now, it's not a pleasant thing to die of a very, very painful disease that cancer can be. Or to be a Ukrainian Christian who's bleeding to death on the streets of Ukraine because he's been hit by a bullet. It's not a pleasant way to die. Nobody wants to die that way. But when you know Christ, you know that that is a pathway to the most incredible future, which far excels any good life that you might have on earth. And we have a very good life here in Adelaide. We are working in the eastern suburbs of Adelaide. They live for the good life. Their treasure is pleasure. Their treasure is possessions. Their treasure is prestige. Their treasure is everything but Jesus. And yet those treasures are all what? Temporary. You talk about the death of Shane Warne, 52 years of age. He had the world and now he is dead. If he didn't have Jesus, what was it worth? You know, the Bible says that it doesn't profit a man to gain the whole world if you lose your soul. It's a great transaction to give your soul to Jesus because it's better than all the world. So much better. So this jealousy issue is a really important element. You know, how many of your associates, family, friends, colleagues, fellow students are jealous of your faith? Now, by the way, some will be angry about your faith. Paul didn't have all these people that say, oh, fantastic, Paul, I'm glad you've got faith and I would love to have your faith. No, often they wanted to kill him. So you don't always get a positive response to your faith, but if people are close enough to you, if they see your tranquility, if they see your peace, if they see that your life is not constrained by your circumstances, but constrained by a much bigger and better reality, who God is, then that does make a difference. But it only makes a difference if you're close enough for it to be seen. It only makes a difference when you have those friends, when you have those relationships, when you are walking and being transparent about your faith. Never be a quiet Christian who doesn't testify to Jesus. The world needs the gospel. And it needs it through our lives. Not always haranguing people with, you've got to be saved, otherwise you're going to hell. But taking opportunities because it's this question, what is it about you? You are different. And sometimes that's strange, but mostly I hope it's just your faith. So here we have a future for this nation that's being revealed, but in the meantime, these Gentiles, we've got to be careful. You know, we can be very arrogant. Oh, we're in, they're out. How did you get in? By grace alone. The only way you got in. You didn't get in by performance. You're not better than anybody else. Uh, you might live in a different way. Your lifestyle actually might be a better lifestyle than anybody else, but that's only because of grace. It's not because you're better in yourself. And that's really important because 
People do not respond well to self-righteous people. They don't. Self-righteousness is a big turnoff when it comes to gospel influence. So it's really important that we are not arrogant. And the Gentiles are reminded here that they are grafting into this original relationship with God was as wild elephants branches. They were the outsiders, the ones who were remote and foreign from this amazing message of good news in Jesus. And they were grafted in as wild. And uh, this root probably refers to the Abrahamic covenant and even the new covenant, which was all given to Israel, not to the wider world. And as a consequence, being grafted in means we should be thankful, we should be appreciative, we should be humble about being grafted in and it does remind us that the natural branches that were broken off and not all of them were because there were still Jews being saved in the early church and even today I mean our director of international uh, sorry of North American ministries is a Jewish convert from an orthodox home so there's still Jewish people being saved today and Menno Kalisha who's the pastor of Jerusalem Assembly in Jerusalem uh, he's a converted Jew and there's many converted Jews in that particular assembly. So, yeah, God is saving some Jewish people, that's for sure. But in, uh, in the end, how much easier would it be to graft the natural branches back into this original root? Much, much easier. I said that I really have two brown thumbs, not two green thumbs. Don't trust plants to me. I'm not sure that they would survive. So I don't know much about grafting, but I do know for sure that it's easier to do natural versus unnatural. It's easier to do those which are common to the original root versus those which are foreign to the original root. That must be much easier to do, and yet God can do both, which is just amazing. And so there's a blessing for the Jewish people in their future restoration. This is where we'll wrap up the message. Look at verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Partial hardening now until a certain era completes, then something will happen. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Now, where's Zion? That's Jerusalem. It's another way of saying Jerusalem. And who are Jacob? Well, Jacob is Israel. It's not the church. It's not us as Gentiles. It's the Jewish people. And who is the deliverer? None other than Jesus. You see, when it says that things will be much better when the Jewish people experience their fullness earlier in this chapter, you've got to say, well, what does that mean? If it's good now because we get included in salvation, what could be better than that? Well, what would be better than that is when Jesus reigns on the earth. When he comes back as the Prince of Peace, bringing real peace, permanent peace for the earth, that happens for the deliverance of the Jewish people. That happens for the salvation of the Jewish people and the establishment of Jesus' reign on the earth. That's when the covenant with them will be fulfilled in its fullness. That's when he will take away their sins. So it's really about salvation, but that salvation involves something so much bigger. It involves the earth coming under the immediate and direct authority of Jesus. I mean, right now, Jesus is king, right? Do anybody deny Jesus' kingship? No. But is his kingship being worked out? As the prayer says, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
well, the will of God is always done perfectly in heaven, and the will sovereignly is done on earth, but it isn't looking like that. I mean, you talk to a Ukrainian about, you know, is this peace on earth? I don't think so. But it will be when Jesus returns. So with respect to the gospel, currently, those who are refusing Jesus are enemies, but with respect to what? With respect to the forefathers, they're choosing as beloved, that is an irrevocable reality. The covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Isaac and Jacob, the covenant with David, the new covenant with Israel as a nation, those covenants are irrevocable. They don't get cancelled. They get fulfilled. But it takes God's time. So as people who know Jesus, as people who are pleased to be a part of God's family, we need to have this attitude towards those who are outside of the family, including the Jewish people, that we welcome them to Jesus, that we live to present to them Jesus, that we want to see them know the one that we know. And when Paul finishes this chapter, and time is gone, he finishes with the doxology, because it's all about what God's doing. Not about us. We are the benefactors, and we are instruments in his hands, but ultimately, this plan is all about God. It says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how measurable, uh, sorry, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. I mean, who could comprehend this? I couldn't have invented this. I couldn't have dreamed this up. I couldn't have put this together, but God can do it. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Obviously not us. Or who has been his counselor? I mean, whoever, whenever did you get asked by God, I need some advice? Please give me some advice. No, I don't think so. Or who has given a gift to him? I mean, you can only give what he's already given. Your life is his, you can give it back. All that you own is his, you can give it back. But you got it in the first place. You received it. And then it says that he might be repaid. In the end, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be who? The glory forever. Amen. You know, God is the one that is working, and he is the one who's going to bring about this amazing plan. We are blessed to be in it. We're in it by grace. So let us pray and thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we are very blessed to be part of your eternal family. Uh, we didn't get in here. We didn't have this relationship because we were better than anybody else. We performed better. We are more religious. We lived more morally. It's all about the gift of God in your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's about faith in him. It's about grace from you. And it's not limited to the Gentiles or even the church of Gentiles and Jews. It's expansive. It's global. It's covering every aspect of humanity and it will include the Jewish people one day. The nation of Israel will eventually recognize their Messiah and they will eventually be fully included. And we're thankful that we have an opportunity to be those who can provoke jealousy, that we can actually stimulate in others the desire to know the God that we know. And that's an amazing privilege on our part. And I pray you'll help us as those who belong to you uh, to be active in that regard. 
to live out our faith publicly, not in arrogant or offensive ways, but in reality, in truth, in authenticity. So thank you for the word of God and for its message to our hearts today. Uh, may my brothers and sisters be encouraged by it, strengthened by it. And if there is any here today who haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus, that they might be moved by your spirit to see him for who he is, for the amazing gift that he is, for the life he offers, and for the eternity that is found only in him and which we all need. And this we ask for the glory of your name and for the good of our souls. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.